0: Turn with me in your Bibles. I'm not going to give you a list. I'm going to have you go one by one. We're going to do another quilt, if you will. You know, a quilt has different patches. Let's start with the patch in Ruth. Turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. You might be saying, what in the world does Ruth have to do with prophecy? Some of you might say, I think I know. Some of you may. But we'll start with the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4, I don't have time to go through the whole story of the book of Ruth, but you know that Boaz is a picture of Jesus, and if you don't know that, Boaz is a picture of Jesus, <laughs> real quick. Ruth is not, a, uh, she's not of the Jewish lineage, she's a Moabitess, a Moabitess. If, uh, she, she was a Gentile, so she was not Born into the household of Israel, she was married in or adopted in to the household of Israel. Ruth chapter 4, starting with verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and when when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, then the women, plural, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women uh, gave him a name, saying, there is none born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 15 is the key verse here, and may he be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. Naomi is of the household of Israel, and she went through a time of bitterness, lost her husband, lost everything. But she comes back to a place of restoration. This is a picture of Israel, right? The Gentile bride is a picture of the church. Jesus bringing in a Gentile bride, but Israel, through a time of bitterness, comes back to a time of restoration where? In old age. Latter days. Move forward. Come over to, where shall we go next? Let's go to Psalm 83. I'm going to patch work these together. Psalm 83. This has been the plight of Israel throughout its history and certainly is still its plight right now and an escalating plight right now today. Psalm 83, starting with verse 5. Psalm 83, starting with verse 5. Actually, starting with verse 4. Starting with verse 4. They have said, "'Come and let us cut them off from being a nation.'" That the name of Israel may be remembered no more, for they have consulted together with one consent to form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom, and the Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hagarites, Gibal, Ammon and Amalek. Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, has also helped them. They have helped the children of Lot, Selah. That right there is a map of the today's Muslim world, by the way. All that corresponds to all that green that was around. Come, let us cut them off as a nation. Deal with them as Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishron, who perished at Endor, who has become as refuse on the earth. These were victories that God had given to Israel. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb. Yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, uh, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Israel, the pastors of God, let us take it from them forward again let's go over to the book of Daniel Daniel chapter 9 Daniel chapter 9 now Daniel was carried away uh, as the young brilliant Hebrew men uh, basically the Babylonians looked and said who are the really bright guys Uh, my buddy who I just read the email from he went to an Ivy League school smart guy that's the kind of guys that, uh, that, that Babylon looked for. They looked for the smart ones, and they took, and Daniel was carried away to captivity, but he f- stayed faithful to the Lord, and because he did, and of course he studied the prophecies of Jeremiah, the Lord gave him a lot of what we now uh, really kind of unveils, the times in which we live in and the times that still yet remain. But God gave him, in the ninth chapter of Daniel, the 70-week prophecy, uh, starting in uh, verse 23, Starting in verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Don't you want to hear that from the Lord? You are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression and make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy "'Know therefore and understand that from the going forth "'of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem "'until Messiah the Prince,' that's Jesus, "'there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. "'There shall be uh, to be built again "'and the wall even in troublesome times. "'And after the sixty-two weeks, "'Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. "'And the people of the Prince who is to come "'shall destroy the city and the sanctuary "'till the end of it shall be with a flood.'" until the end of the war, uh, the end of war of desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of uh, the one week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is to be determined, is poured out on the desolate. And rather than explain all of that, I'll, I'll say quickly, because we'll, I have some slides that we'll kind of uh, drill into this a little bit, The 70 weeks, you have 69 weeks, 483 years from the decree given to Ezra. It was originally given to Daniel, but the actual final decree to actually build it was given to Ezra, 483 years. That takes us to what you know as Palm Sunday. Jesus enters the city. Messiah is cut off that week. He's, He's crucified that week. That's 69 weeks, then you have this gap. There's still a 70th week. There's one week left. Each week represents a seven-year period. So it's not a week. Uh, week sometimes means uh, not just a week like we would consider a seven-day week, but in this case, a week can also mean the seven-year period. So you have seven, 70 periods of seven. 69 have already taken place, and there's a suspension of time. Not a suspension of time, but a suspension of the fulfillment because time has continued to go on and we've had the 2,000 year age of grace. But the 70th week has not yet completed. Now we know that the 70 weeks are determined for who? Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people. Whose people? Daniel's people. The Jewish people. Not the Gentile people. The city, the city is Jerusalem. It's all determined for your holy city through 69 weeks have been completed, 70th week still yet to be completed. Now I'll go over to Matthew chapter 24 where we've spent some time. This is our kind of anchor text, Jesus. We already read about all the signs. We looked at the signs last week. I gave you pictures and evidence of all the things that are going on in the world. And you, of course, can watch the news and see these things yourself. But in addition to apostasy, which we know is mentioned second most after everything to do with Israel or Jerusalem, which we have the age of apostasy now, it's not new. It's just beginning to get thicker and thicker. It was around in Paul's time. They had already turned and had created false Christ and false doctrine. But uh, in addition to apostasy, which we know is, is uh, the second most uh, prevalent sign, uh, we turn our attention again to verse 32, but we'll read a little further this time. Verse 32, Matthew chapter 24. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Not you. you think it's near. You know it's near. It's not hard to tell when summer's near, is it? So you also, when you see all these things, know it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be with the coming of the Son of Man, for as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the millstone. Uh, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Verse 44, Therefore you also be ready for the Son of, Man, Son of Man is coming, an hour that you do not expect. Last place, Titus. Book of Titus. Right after Timothy. Second Timothy. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is the age of grace. We're in it. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray once again. Father, we pray that Your Spirit, Your Spirit alone, would stitch together this pattern, this quilt of prophecies and scriptures, both dealing with Israel, the church, this world, Jerusalem, and Your return. And Lord, help us to see and understand not only the visions that You gave to Your prophets, but Lord, what was written down for our understanding, that we would know that summer is near that your return is near. Though we may not know the exact hour or time, Lord, we know to be ready, for you've commanded it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can, uh, let me turn on my slides here. See If my thing's working here. I'll let you advance (laughs) if it's not. Thanks. This delay has been brought to you by. <laughs> all right. So this, uh, I, I'm not going to spend any time on this. I, I, I put this up just, we covered all this uh, last week. Just to say all these things, check, 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 done. Already. There are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for Jesus to return at any moment? None. Now, technically that would be true I, uh, from the time that Jesus left, because the, the early church was sitting around waiting for His return, even then. But there are, were some things that hadn't yet taken place. Israel and you know, Jerusalem had, didn't fall until AD 70. The temple had to, had to be completely destroyed, no stone left unturned, before it could actually be trampled by the Gentiles. And run over by the Gentiles. All that took place. So all this is, all this is already done. There's nothing left that remains to, pre- to prevent the Lord Jesus from returning for His bride. And when, he, when I say His bride, even though He has married and, and grafted in a Gentile bride, which we'll, we'll see this throughout all the way until we get to the end of the prophecy series, um, His church is both Jewish and Gentile, right? Right? He has many, Paul, Peter, John. The early church was was mostly the early the first church there in Jerusalem was mostly Jewish born again believers, like Nicodemus, like Joseph of Arimathea, right? All of the these were the Jewish born again believers that went out as the uh, as the apostles, disciples, missionaries, and then brought in. Paul said he was he was sent to the Gentiles specifically to bring them in, but. So now the bride will be, when Jesus comes back for his bride, it'll be both Jewish and Gentile, and yet there's a distinguishing uh, still differences in what the Lord is going to do with Israel as a nation state and what he'll do with the church. But the, lo- the next thing to happen on the prophetic calendar is for the Lord to come back for his church. So this has already been completed. try any of these buttons. Did I get one? I went too far, didn't I? let see where I'm at there. Yep. I need to go back. I've actually used one of these many, many times. <laughs> but th- this one never does anything for me. Uh... Take me to just take me to the second slide, which is the scriptures eternity, creation to eternity. I don't want it to be a distraction. It's the scriptures to eternity slide. Right after the untimed fulfillment. Nope. Back. It's blue. There we go. All right. So uh, we'll start here. Just brief reminder. Age of grace. We looked at the last days last week, and we have here final hours nearing fulfillment. It's that little blue circle there. you got the rapture of the church, and then starts the seven-year tribulation. We'll get to what, what some of the other defining terms of seven-year tribulation are. Now, we don't know where we're at in that blue circle. We don't know if that timeline of the rapture slides this way, right? We're saying in a definition of terms, that's where we're, that's where we're at as far as trying to see it visually, but exactly where is the timeline a little further out? We don't know that, uh, but we do know that there's nothing that remains for the Lord to return as far as prophetic calendar. Everything, already, everything that Jesus said to look for has already taken place in our lifetime. Well, since 1948 has been, been a key milestone date. Let's look at the next one. Control of Jerusalem. It's another way to look at it. I put this one together to kind of give you an understanding of a couple of things. We just read a bunch of different passages. Blue is where Israel had control of Jerusalem household of David, Israel, Judah, the kings. That was that time period where Israel had total control of Jerusalem. At one other little time, the Maccabean revolt, see the little blue right there just just uh, below Macedonian, Hasmonean, then you have the Roman, Byzantine is in red. Little slice of time, interestingly enough, under the Maccabean rule is when the temple was desecrated The first time—that's actually what led to the Maccabean revolt. Was uh, um, what is his his name again? I just yeah, and whatever. Uh, (laughs) Antiochus uh, Epiphanes—that's his name. I was going blank there. So he comes and he desecrates the temple, right? Slaughters uh, a a pig and just, just desecrates the temple. Now that was Israel's. Short period of time of control, and you had all that around the same time. Temples desecrated. Israel uh, Israel has a short period of time of actually controlling the Israeli people, uh, the Jewish people at that time, having control of Jerusalem. Uh, then the Roman Empire steps in, and when Jesus comes the first time, that global power is the Roman Empire. Right, he enters at the seventieth week. Jerusalem is has the temple has recently, not too far back, had been desecrated. Israel had had a brief time of control of their own land, but now Rome has taken control, and Caesar's in power. Jesus comes at a time when Caesar, who's a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, has control of Jerusalem. Then you fast way forward to our lifetime. We have the next little blue. Israel's back in control of Jerusalem. But another, Caesar, is going to retake control of Jerusalem, preparing the way for the second coming. Each time Jesus comes, the temple's been desecrated, the Roman Empire, this will be the revived Roman Empire under the the rule of the Antichrist, the revived Roman Empire will retake control of the holy city And this time he doesn't come as a lamb, he comes as a lion. When we get to the thousand year reign you'll see some things just come alive. Things like Ruth make even more sense and and what is Ezekiel talking about in the the latter latter ends of the chapter and the priesthood comes back and all of these things. But Jesus the first time he comes and he does not, remember some people were mad at Jesus because he came and they wanted him to liberate them from the Roman Empire. Like, if you're really the Messiah, you will put Caesar down and reestablish the throne of David. And he said, that's not what I came for this time. First, I've come for your sins. This time when I come, it'll be to redeem the household of Israel, to take Jerusalem, to sit on the throne. And yes, Caesar will be disposed, being the Antichrist. The final, there's many, many foreshadowings of the final Antichrist, but the 70th, 69 weeks were completed up here, 483 years. From the rebuilding decree to Ezra all the way until Messiah enters on what we call Palm Sunday, 483 years are completed, 69 weeks are done. There's this 70th week just sitting out there in a holding pattern until God gives. It's like all the prophecies now, if you would fill up like a a jug of water and the water is pulled at the top, all you have to do is drop one pebble in and it's going to spill over. It's filled to the brim. There's nothing else. One little pebble and it spills over and then the 70th week can begin. But it's at the end of the 70th week, it was the end of the 69th week that Jesus entered and it'll be the end of the 70th week when his foot will touch the Mount of Olives, splitting it in two. And he will then come back as not a lamb, although he still is the Lamb of God, but he will come back as a roaring lion to take back what belongs to him and to redeem the nation of Israel and to set everything in order, even the things that people wanted him to set in order the first time. He said, not all these things must be fulfilled first, each in its time. The apostles were godly men. They wanted to understand these things. He told them it's not for you to know the times and the seasons to the exact degree. You're going to have to walk by faith. You'll understand the big picture, but I won't give you the intimate every single detail. Everything, as you study prophecy, there's always going to be things you cannot nail down. Let's take a look at another uh, a view of this. I didn't have time to put as much detail, but I wanted to point something out here. If you look at from the command to build the temple at 457 B.C., given to Ezra, move forward to about almost exactly 500 years, a little over 500 years until um, you get uh, to well, it's less than 500 years there, but when you get to the cross, just looking at this as 500-year increments, 500 A.D., 1,000, you look at from the cross to today in 2012, you have 2,012 years roughly, and I know the You know, you get the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar. But generally speaking, we're talking about a rough right around 2,000 years, 2012 in our minds, right? Right here in our lifetime, almost everything that Jesus speaks of escalates like a mushroom overnight. You ever seen how mushrooms are not there in the morning? They're not there when you go to bed. You wake up and there's a mushroom in your yard. That's 1900 till now. I mean, it's amazing what happened. You have World War I, World War II, Vietnam, all the Gulf Wars that have been taking place or the Middle East Wars since since the first Gulf War. It hasn't stopped. It's been nonstop. Labor pain, stretching, shrinking, stretching, shrinking. All these things, 9-11. All these things have taken place, which I believe has changed the, the modern world like no other event. Our lifetime, all these things taken—the rise of China. I mean, all this has taken place since 1900. China becomes a communist country. Before that, go back to the Ming dynasties and all these other things. You know, all the things that have taken place. Russia becomes a massive world power. All since 1900, all this has taken place. Israel is placed back in its land. Has one year to pull it off. Couldn't have done it in forty. Couldn't have done it in forty-seven. Couldn't have done it in 49. God has this one little window, and it comes on the heels of what? An Antichrist forerunner named Hitler who tries to destroy the Jewish race. You think that's all coincidence? No. Matter of fact, Hitler as a forerunner was, Satan knew his time was getting short. Nazi Germany tried to kill the Jewish people from the face of the earth didn't happen because God says I'm going to flip the script and now Israel become a nation. Who would have ever thought when you're walking through Auschwitz before that that would actually be the event to make Israel a nation? But it was. And actually drew millions of Jewish people out of Russia, out of Germany, out of Europe, back in from the north country as Jeremiah said would take place, back down into the land. And we see it blossoming and blooming today. But most all of that happens in this little sliver right here. All the rest of it is just killing time. I'm kidding. There's a lot of important stuff in there too. Remember, Jerusalem's trampled during the Crusades and all those things. But all those things build up to this moment. Crescendo is coming. We're right around the corner. Let's take a look at the prophetic sequence now. First thing, the time of the Gentiles. There is a time of the Gentiles, and we've already seen that that has been taking place since A.D. 70, when Rome dispersed, right? Titus comes in, he destroys the temple, and then Rome, after a while of kind of back and forth trying to cope with the Jewish people, finally says enough with it and disperses them. At one time it's believed that no Jewish people were within 50 miles. They had dispersed them out. Literally said, you must leave the land. And they did. And they, today you'll find Jewish people in Argentina, China, Iran, Iraq. Now some of them never really left ever since the captivity around Iran, Iran and Iraq. Daniel was there and they, some of them have stayed even to this day. But all points on the globe... Uh, the Jewish people were dispersed, but yet at the same time, all during that time, you saw in the timeline of Jewish control, uh, Gentile control, Jerusalem became completely held for a long time by the Gentiles—two thousand years, or right about you know, close to two thousand years. Uh, the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled, but during all this time, Jesus takes a Gentile bride. Romans 10:19, but I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy, those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So two things are taking place simultaneously. The foolish nations that are actually holding on to Jerusalem and infuriates the Jewish people. On the other side, people that are the bride of Christ are provoking Jews, Jewish people to jealousy in their relationship with this Jewish Messiah like Boaz taking Ruth. So you have both things happening simultaneously. Does this make sense? That in God's heavenly realm He's actually orchestrating both at the same time that at the one hand you and I that are Gentiles have come to faith. We have Dr. Michael Hertz, a Messianic Jewish pastor coming here December 16th. Uh, Him and I were talking about these things. And so on the one hand that's provoking, but on the other hand the world's domination or attempted domination of Jerusalem and hatred for Israel also is a thorn in their side. And will continue to be. And we saw Psalm 83. The Confederacy has always been surrounding, hasn't it? Let us cut them off that they're not a nation anymore. Let us take the pastors of the Lord. They've been dealing with this for a long time. Let's look at the next piece. The fullness of the Gentiles. Now this I, I said nothing else needs to take place in the prophetic calendars. Uh, technically, this does need to take place. But, but I, what I'm saying is God only knows what the fullness looks like. Who the last person saved is that completes the fullness. Only the Lord knows that. Is it someone in Madagascar? Is it, is it someone in the United States? Is it someone in Cambodia? I don't know. But the Lord says there is a time where he says fullness is complete. Every Gentile that I intended to come in to the bride before I return is now complete. Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Mystery. There's a lot. Now, Paul says it's a mystery, but he's actually shedding light on the mystery now. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. The blindness is in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There has to be a fullness of the Gentiles. The, The age of grace. The 2,000 t- years of the church, it doesn't mean that Jewish people don't come to Christ during that time. More Jewish people have come to Christ since 1948, about half of all people that have ever come to Christ in faith that are Jewish have done so since 1948, since Israel has been re, uh, rebirthed in the land. So many Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ, however, the predominant church is Gentile, numerically, right? And even predominant in voice, Messianic fellowships have actually been growing quite a bit in the last 25 years. Uh, Fellowships like Dr. Hertz. One of the reasons why I have him coming is I want our church to partner with them. They're in Hampton, Virginia, that we can work together in reaching both Jewish and Gentile lost people in the days in which we live in. But there's a fullness of the Gentiles that the Lord Himself knows when it's complete. It could be complete tonight. It could be complete tomorrow, four years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I don't know. But I know this, when you look at that timeline, to use my football analogy, I believe emphatically we're in the fourth quarter. We might even be in overtime for all I know. But we're, we're late in the game, very late in the game. Because the things that Jesus said to watch for the leaves blooming, he said, summer's near when these things take place. They couldn't have said that before 1948. And even before 1967 when, when, uh, when Israel recaptured the old city and, and then took over all of Jerusalem because at that time it was still trampled by Jordan, still uh, owned by Jordan. So what, So what takes place once this is complete? Next up is the rapture of the church. The fullness is complete. Now, the Lord could actually have a holding pattern after the fullness is complete, or instantaneously, in the twinkle of an eye, He could call His church unto Himself. Matthew chapter 24, red-letter words of Jesus, then two men, we just read this, and I'll, I'll just read the highlighted part, "...watch therefore, for you do not know what hour..." your Lord is coming. And Paul knowing that Jesus taught on this, knowing that Jesus actually told the disciples about the end of the world and all the things that would take place, the signs of the end, the rapture of the church, but Jesus didn't give certain details. But then the Lord gave some to Paul and Paul expounds a little bit on it. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52, Behold I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. I was like, not everyone. Uh, by the way, only saints sleep because they will be risen to everlasting life. Everyone else dies and they uh, then go to a second death. Right? We actually die once and actually our soul will sleep, although we are in the presence of the Lord. But there's a, or the body. I'm sorry, the body sleeps. The body sleeps. The soul and the spirit are with the Lord. The body sleeps. Whether it was disintegrated, like bodies in 9-11, right? You can't bury a body like that, can you? It was ashes. It's incinerated into nothing. Bodies that went down with the Titanic, the salt water, disintegrated them into nothing. There is no body, although God knows where the molecular structure hangs out, doesn't he? Isn't that cool? Every molecule that ever consisted of a body he will bring it out of, if, you, if they were saved, he'll bring it out of sleep to a resurrected body. If they're lost, and we'll get to this when we get to the great white throne judgment, that body will be brought back together for judgment. But the body of the saints sleeps, but Paul says not everyone will sleep. Some of you don't get to go to sleep. You just get to go straight to be in the presence of the Lord. If you're around if you're alive when the, when the rapture of the church comes, we shall, not, we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. This is how uh, when Jesus talks about, and Paul is, is expanding on a mystery, Jesus said two will be walking side by side, and one will all of a sudden be gone. Now, to me, it's pretty clear from a lot of things that the rapture of the church takes place before the tribulation. Now, there are people, that love the Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who do not believe that the the rapture of the church is coming prior to the tribulation. Some believe in a mid-trib, you heard that term? Middle of the tribulation. They believe that that Jesus will not return until the Antichrist has broken the covenant in that time frame, middle of the tribulation, because he breaks the covenant in the three and a half weeks, the three and a half years, that the the Lord would actually bring uh, His church to Himself in the middle of the tribulation. There's others uh, that believe that it's similar to mid-trib, but it's not the same pre-wrath view. You might have heard that, Uh, that the Lord will actually call His church up to Himself after the sixth seal. This is in Revelation 6.17. I'm just letting you know that I acknowledge these views. I don't agree with them, They can be wrong if they'd like to, but uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, There's a good argument to be made for both those views. And you can actually actually look at verses that that would lead you to believe that perhaps Jesus does come in the middle of the rapture, perhaps He comes right after the sixth seal, if you believe in the pre-wrath, the wrath of the Lamb has come, that then... Uh, because uh, some people believe that that is truly the epicenter of the day of the Lord. Even though the day of the Lord covers the seven-year tribulation, the actual day, 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 day of the Lord is His wrath poured out, his, his full fury, which takes place after the sixth seal. We'll get to that next week with the, with the um, tribulation period. And, and then you have people that believe in a post-tribulation rapture, that the rapture of the church is at the very end, right after the battle of Armageddon, that Jesus comes down, and this is but that that view is something like this. It's a big circle. He comes down, swoops up his church. They get back in the air, and they come right back down. Right? So it's a it's a curbside pull up, grab you, come up, and we come straight back. <laughs> if you believe in a post tribulation rapture, because you have the second coming of Jesus, which is when he comes back to Jerusalem. That's why I talked about. The one one timeline there, the first time Jesus came, He literally walked the streets of Jerusalem, correct? His second coming, He will walk the streets of Jerusalem again, but He walks it as a king of kings, not as a suffering servant. First time He walked Jerusalem, suffering servant. Second time He walks Jerusalem, king of kings. In between that, the rapture, He does not walk the streets of Jerusalem. We meet Him in the air. Make sense? He calls his church out. Why does he call the church out? Well, again, for me, it's pretty clear. We read that Daniel talks about that the 70 weeks are for whose people? The Jewish people. The church is not the headliner. Once God, when, when God comes to address the 70th week, the church is not the headliner. The church comes out and God deals with the 70th week, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the land given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you go back to Matthew chapter 24 for just a second. Matthew chapter 24 for just a second. Um, Jesus speaks of the great tribulation. Now, just like it's true in all of the Bible, prophecy's not given chronologically every time. There are parts of the prophecy that are given chronologically, but there's many parts that are not. It's not always given linear, and that's why we understand Midrash, understand that it's repetitive cycles, there are Fits and starts, if you will, there are suspended time periods, but you have to understand if you know the other parts of Scripture, it helps shed light. That's why Paul uses terms like, behold, I tell you a mystery. You had read and didn't understand, this is what the Lord was saying, right? You might have heard Jesus say that two men will be walking and one will be gone. You're like, what in the world is that all about? Paul's like, I'll tell you what it's about. In the twinkling of an eye, some of you won't sleep. You'll just be walking with your unsafe co-worker, and the next moment, you're in the clouds with Jesus. Now, the Great Tribulation, Jesus speaks quite a bit about it in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by who? Daniel. Again, Jesus tells us that the prophecies of Daniel are extremely key understanding what he's talking about. You might see in your Bible, in parentheses, whoever reads, let him understand. Whoever does what? Reads. The only way to understand biblical prophecy is by this book. Not the opinions of man. Whoever reads it, studies it, studies to show themselves to prove under God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Paul said, study the word, study the word, study the word. You'll understand the more you read it. It'll make sense. It'll come together. Now, look at verse 16. Now, the tribulation period, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, again, Jesus is speaking to what nation here? Judea. Let those who are in Judea. He's speaking to the area that will be under assault. He's speaking to, let's put up the last bullet point here, the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel speaks of it. Daniel 12.1. At that time, Michael. You guys have heard of two angels named in the Bible? Michael and Gabriel, right? Gabriel comes and gives uh, a lot of information about the coming of Messiah, right? But Michael is the prince over Israel. He is Israel's guardian angel. There's times where he's told to stand down by the Lord. And it probably really irks him when he wants to wreak havoc on whoever's coming against Israel. But the Lord tells him to stand down. But there's times where he says, stand up. And Michael shall stand up. Look out when Michael stands up, by the way. When he, de- when he decides to come, well, he doesn't decide, the Lord decides for him, but when he's told to defend the nation of Israel, he'll stand up that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So, Daniel is told that you have a guardian angel over the nation state of Israel, and it's Michael. He makes sure, he keeps the records, that everything is done according to what Jesus has told him to do. The times will be fulfilled. Jesus will tell him, Michael, now. Not yet. Now stand up. But he says, and there shall be a time of trouble. This is where we get the term, the time of Jacob's Jacob's trouble. Now, we also know it as the great tribulation. Jesus says, for in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the history of the world. An average day in the tribulation will look like 9-11. Just an average day. At times. Now, there will be some peace times. But once, once things kick up, once the dominoes start falling... Once the wrath of the Lamb is poured out, 9-11 will will just be an average mundane moment on earth because it'll be nonstop, horrific times a thousand. Great tribulation, another term for it. The day of the Lord. Peter stands up at Pentecost and says that what was just kicked off was what? The last days, and it will proceed to what? The day of the Lord. Also the same day as Jacob's trouble, tribulation, day of the Lord. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. You don't want to be here for the day of the Lord. It is the day that the world, and it's many days, it's a day that the world comes to recognize that God is who He says He is, and be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That's the day of the Lord. The world will know... They won't like it. They'll curse God. They even will try to die, not be able to at times. Some will, many will die, but some won't, and they'll even want to. We'll get to that next week as well. And then lastly, the 70th week of Daniel. The 70th week. So, and if you hear these terms, they're all the same thing tribulation, 70th week, time of Jacob's trouble, day of the Lord. Guess what? None of them apply to. The church. Isn't that interesting? The church is not the seven, they're not Daniel's people. They're not Jacob's trouble. They're not, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're not appointed under wrath. We've been saved by grace. So we're not vessels of wrath anymore. We were. We were Romans 1 before we got saved, weren't we? We were deserving of wrath, but we're not prepared for wrath. Those that have rejected the Lord are prepared for wrath. Now, a couple of other things on the rapture, um, and I'm having to do this thumb thumb (laughs) thumb sketch type. uh, a, A couple of other things to keep in mind. The rapture of the church. If we look at biblical... Uh, a kind of uh, a view of going further back and seeing where are other types of this. Uh, before the flood, uh, we see in uh, Genesis five twenty four, Enoch walked and then he was not. He was caught up to be where? Caught up to be with the Lord. He just walked into heaven. He didn't die. He didn't sleep. It was a type, it was a foreshadowing that Enoch is caught up to be with the Lord and then shortly after... It's not shortly after, but, but, you know, not that much in the scheme of time then, 100 years, 150 years, whatever it may be, the flood comes. And he avoids the whole thing. Similarly, Noah and his family, Noah's trying to tell everybody, like you might tell your, your family members at Thanksgiving if you talked about the rapture, or if you tell a coworker, me telling my coworker who, who now realizes no one else has a dog in this fight. And I have lunch with them and tell them soon, everyone will have a dog in this fight. To not choose, you'll have one. You might choose the wrong side, but you'll have. And Noah and his sons trying to tell the people they're building this big ark the Lord is going to come back. Or not the Lord's going to come back, but the, the floods are going to come. And. We're going to be saved. Do you want to be saved from this judgment to come? And most of the people said, we don't believe there's a judgment to come. We don't believe anything's going to change. We believe we'll marry, we'll have you know, a good time, we'll seek pleasure, there'll be violence, and we'll just do whatever we want. We'll run the world. And, and Noah's like, no, 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 it's not going to end that way. God's going to pour out wrath. And unless you actually come inside this ark, which was a picture of the cross, remember it was made of wood and it had pitch. A pitch is a picture of the blood. So this ark that has the pitch and the wood, unless you get in it, unless you cling to the old rugged cross, same, same scenario. And of course, him and his family go in, door is shut up. And Jesus said, But as in the days of Noah, so will be also the coming of the days of the Son of Man. For as in the days of Noah, right up until that day they entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came until the tribulation period starts, many people will continue to say, you have no idea what you're talking about, Christians. Israel's always been like this. Egypt's always been like that. Syria's always been like that. Russia's always been like that. The news has always been like that. The world has never changed at all. People that say that have not studied anything. But they purposely don't want to study it because if they studied it, they would know it's true. And if they know it's true, then they'd be convicted. If they're convicted, they're going to have to repent. Now, for you and I, repentance is a beautiful thing. I would never go back to my former life. What a miserable place that was, of no peace, no joy, trying to find fulfillment in the world. But now, those of us who are saved, we're in the ark. The only thing we're waiting for is, who shut? did did Noah shut the door or did God shut the door? The Lord shut the door. All he was told was to get in. And you just kind of wait there. Uh, Door's still open. Lord, I know. Should we go out? Nope. How long are we stay in here? As long as I tell you. Well, when will when will the boat start rising? When will we go up? When I shut the door. Make sense? We're supposed to stay in Christ. Jesus said, "Abide in me, and I in you." Do not get it, Paul. Later, remember the ship shipwrecked at Malta. Paul said, "Do not get out of the boat." Stay in the boat. You can't lose your salvation, but you can toss it. In other words, God won't actually take it from you, but you can actually chuck it. I don't plan on doing that. How about you? Now, he holds us, and he'll never let us go. But if you tell him, I don't want you, I want the world, you can walk off the boat. No, and his family did not do that, did they? They wisely stayed right there with that. And then the Lord will actually rapture his church and bring up his church. Let's take a look at something I drew that will really confuse you. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> of course, you can't even see it back there, but I'll describe it. This is my, my own illustration. I tried to take and look at the scripture, and see, how can I draw this? This is the Garden of Eden. Right. There's neither Jew nor Gentile here, as best we can tell. Now there really is. There, the seed of the Jewish race is actually here, but God doesn't really mention it until he calls who? A man named Abram, right? Abram's called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. God changed his name to Abraham. He says, I'll make of you a great nation, and in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. How would that be? We know ultimately that that would be through Jesus Christ, right? So then, now we all of a sudden have two parallel lines. G stands for Gentile, I stands for Israel. We have the age of law, the law is given, and on the two parallel tracks, Israel is the light to the Gentile world. They're holding the torch of truth. Make sense? Gentile world, they're Canaanites, China, Native Americans, you name it, they're all on the left side, and Israel's holding the torch of the law of God to the world. That's why Solomon would build a great temple, and even like the queen of Ethiopia, everyone came to see this great light. Make sense? Israel's shining the light, but at some point, Israel snuffed the light out. They went into captivity, didn't they? There's the silent years of 400 years to the cross where God didn't speak to any of the prophets. The light was snuffed out until a light came over Bethlehem, right? A light comes over Bethlehem, and there's a point of intersection. All of a sudden, those of the household of Israel are the first, Jesus calls who? He came to save the Jewish people, I've come to the house of Israel first, right? He comes to the house of Israel. Some come to faith. Peter does. John does. James does. Many do. The early church. Peter's the first shepherd or pastor that the Spirit falls upon him. Many get saved. There's this point of intersection where the all of a sudden the Gentiles are grafted in. And actually, the tracks switch. And all of a sudden, Israel goes this way and is dispersed among the nations and generally speaking is blinded as Paul says in Romans 9-11, through 11, blinded and actually loses the light. And Gentile pastors and shepherds around the world and missionaries grab the light from the Lord and they're shining it back, Paul says, provoking to jealousy the household of Israel. So the track switched and now the Gentiles are mostly holding the torch, not exclusively. This was not exclusively either because... Job was likely Gentile, and he was a great man of God. So this is not exclusive, this is majority. The Gentile church is at the age of grace. Now we have grace instead of law, Gentiles hold the torch of the light, but then the tracks switch one last time, God's cool, isn't He? The tracks switch again as the church is raptured out, and Israel then retakes the torch 144,000 will be sealed in the book of Revelation. They'll be the Jewish evangelist. The two witnesses will be in Jerusalem. The torch is given back. Israel's now shining back to the Gentiles again. But that actually ends as well when Jesus comes back and unifies Ruth, Naomi, comes all together. Now, the priesthood does what it, we, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's in the thousand-year reign, and then ultimately it's going to be but yet at the same time, there's going to be this beautiful distinction, one family, with in essence, two bloodlines. Make sense? So that's my drawing. I couldn't find anyone who drew it, so I drew it myself <laughs> of trying to help explain how does the weaving of time and it almost looks like a vine doesn't it? When you actually draw it out. So hopefully that is somewhat helpful to you. Let's uh, come to a close with the last slide here. And we're going to have to move next week to the tribulation. But will we see these events unfold? Just kind of some food for thought for you. I've got a few that keep your eyes and ears open for. Will we see these events unfold, unfold? Or will we already be with Jesus? let will look at the first one. First one. Isaiah chapter 17. Will Damascus cease to be a city in our lifetime? Hadn't happened yet. I could make the case that this happens just before the rapture or just after the rapture. Or shortly after, within... Um, and this is uh, no one can preach these things as doctrine as far as the time what we can preach as fact is it will happen it's never happened Isaiah, uh, Isaiah could have talked about any city he, the Lord told him Damascus Isaiah chapter 17 it's the oldest city in the world right now and what is happening in Syria it's imploding if anyone gets a nuclear bomb and detonates it themselves, or if Israel, which I believe—if you're—if you're with us this Wednesday, I'll cover a little bit more of this. I believe Israel will be sucked in to a war with Syria in the not so distant future. Don't know what happens. All we know is that Damascus is left as an ash heap, and it happens fast. It's a city of over two million people, and it's completely leveled to the ground. We, there's only modern weapons can do this, by the way. And not only leave it, but as an ash heap. Will will this happen in our lifetime? Look look at number two. I've been talking about Egypt for 10 months, 12 months, however long. You know, we go back. um, And I didn't realize just in the last three days, uh, President Morsi has done a power grab to take full control of Egypt. And Egypt is spinning into right now Isaiah 19 says Egypt will spin into a ugly civil war where they will kill each other right and left, but an evil ruler will take total control of it all. And in the middle of all that, weird things will happen. The Nile River will dry up. The cotton industry will dry up. All this could happen in our lifetime. I believe we will see the inroads. Well, I believe we're already seeing the inroads of these things, but these things could happen And these things could precede the rapture, or they could be just after the rapture. Let's look at the next one. This one is huge on the prophetic calendar. You can go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39. I wish I had time to go through all these. I just don't. Um, But Ezekiel 38 and 39, Russia will lead a confederacy of nations against Israel. It's only a matter of when, not if. The scriptures are really clear. Magog, Meshech, which is the ancient of Moscow, (laughs) Libya, Turkey. It actually can mean all the northern African nations. We don't know, but we know that at minimum, Iran is mentioned. Of course, Iran and Russia have been working together for 20-some years, 30-some years now. In fact, if you listen to the airwaves, if you talk to Israeli defense or the U.S., State Department, much of what takes takes in Tehran, is spoken in Russian. A lot of it. All these things are taking place. Uh, we know that Israel will be a land that people will want to take because it is blossoming and blooming. And this could happen in our lifetime as well. And the next one. A lot of people thought when the European Union was formed that the European Union was, but that, that this something has to take place where there is a distinct 10-region kingdom. Now, the Council of Rome, for example, already has divided the world into ten regions. In other words, the draft paper is already there, but this could happen in our lifetime where you would actually see nations give up more sovereignty than they have to actually be folded into ten regions and have leaders over the ten regions. We have leaders in America that would actually love that. Yeah. And then there's the last one, which we'll look at on wednesday the united states reduced as a world power the fact that we're not mentioned by name but we just might be in here come wednesday and i'll show you why i believe we uh i i believe america is clearly defen- identified but even if we're not because i put question marks behind that because it, it's it's t- it, these these four it's easy to say absolutely positively going to happen because the scriptures actually have it in black and white. This last one, we're left to wonder because we're not mentioned by name. But our not being mentioned by name is an ominous sign in and of itself. And yet at the same time, I think that, uh, I think that there are things that, that do speak to our nation uh, and quite possibly... I say possibly. Uh, prophecy is, um, is an amazing thing that uh, the closer you get, the more you understand what you've been studying. In other words, some of your assumptions are blown out of the water. That's why you can't teach these things dogmatically, although I, I believe scripturally everything I've taught today I believe is very clearly laid out in Scripture. But as far as certain specifics, we can't know. But what does it all matter well, Peter said in 2 Peter three eight, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And he goes on to say in the 11th verse, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, they're all going to happen. Peter says, it's all going to happen. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's what it's all about. The Lord's like, I don't want you to know stuff to know it. I want you to know it to walk in me. Let's look at the last. Turn with me to one last place. Back to Matthew. This is what it all comes down to. Why is knowing these things important? Matthew 25, not 24. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, starting with verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil in them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish of the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us. But go, rather, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10. That's why I have highlighted in my Bible here. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in to him at the wedding, and the door was shut. Sounds like what back in Genesis? The ark. The rapture and the ark, so similar. Get in and wait for the door to be shut. Have your lamps lit, because Jesus is saying, look, I'm coming back. Afterward, the other virgins came all, said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As Surely I say, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man comes. You know, Jesus is speaking to the church here. He says ten virgins. He doesn't say five pagan adulterers and five virgins. He says ten virgins. He's talking about wheat and tares living side by side. He's speaking to the church. This is the same why he writes in the book of Revelation to the church the first the, uh, the first three chapters are the letters to the churches, the seven churches of Asia. He writes those churches because in every one of those churches, there are false converts and there are people really saved. They're walking with the oil of the Holy Spirit in their life. The word of God is on their lips. The law has been written on the tablets of their heart. And he's saying inside the church, the, the virgins typify the church of the Lord. There are people that are with me. And then there's some Judases. They're not going to be coming. And at the last possible moment, just like at the ark, they will, they'll understand that they hadn't really repented, and they'll bang on the ark or they'll, they'll cry out, why am I not taken away? It's too late. Jesus said, all these things are written that you would be wise and surrender to me now and walk with me now because you won't have the opportunity later. Now, I can't think of a more blessed thing than to walk with the Lord. I, I, I have his peace. I have his joy. I can see all the one world's events unfold and know that my Redeemer draweth nigh. I'm not worried about losing uh, all the fun stuff that the world could, you know, provide. You can get everything you ever wanted on Black Friday and it'll be old to you by Monday. Isn't it the truth? Those of you that are young and you've had toys, you can't even remember what you got last Christmas. Right? Nothing that the world gives satisfies. And Jesus said, Why would you, why would you sacrifice your soul and all eternity? And and he's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to the unsaved, well, they are unsaved. These are these are tares grown among wheat. But he's speaking to people that call themselves the body of Christ. Just like Paul says to the church, just like Paul says to the to the Jews, uh, those of the household of Israel, he says to them, Not all Israel is Israel. And Jesus is saying to the church, not all church is church. Not all the church is the church. Some of the church is a false church, and they actually sit among us. But they're not going to go with us. And Paul, and Paul says some of the household of Israel is not really the household of Israel because they won't be of the eternal seed of Abraham. The remnant of Israel, the nation state, the people will be saved. The remnant of the church will be saved. But those who say, I have a form of godliness, and that's all I want. They resist, they deny the power thereof, the power, of the saving grace of Jesus in their life. This is why prophecy matters. Because for those of you that love Jesus, it'll purify you to love him more and to be even more building the ark, working amongst the people, walking in his grace. And for those of you that say, I don't want this. The Lord will tell you, you don't, have to. you don't have to come to me. You don't have to. But it will be the worst decision you could possibly make. And I pray that for us that are saved, that this has a purifying work. That's what Peter was saying, that the, it would cause you to be a more godly person because the days are short. Amen?